for Samaritan's Purse is, is to reach uh, kids. And then w- one of the videos there, uh, the video that I was wanting to show you, it starts out in Iraq. And, and they go into Iraq and they go into a deserted church that had been um, bombed and tore up and shot up. And there was a Samaritan's Purse box sitting there. So um, you just you don't have no idea what that meant to them when they walked in there and seen that at one time or another that a Samaritan's Purse box had reached uh, those people there in Iraq. In the middle of, of a, an extreme Muslim country, in the middle of ISIS and all of that, a Samaritan's Purse box got in there because men and women were willing to take those boxes in there and share the gospel message. And that's really what it's all about. And we sing a song tonight, We Believe. And that's the title of the sermon, Believe, Believe, Believe. What could be less complicated than belief? What could be more effortless than faith? Uh, There's nothing to achieve. There's no quest to complete, no challenge to overcome, no method to master, no merit to earn. We have only to trust the one who made us. That's all we have to do. That's what belief is. That's what faith is. The one who made us, the one who loves us, the one who who satisfied all of God's expectations on behalf of humanity. But unfortunately, humanity is is chronically religious. Uh, Most people will opt out of, of, of religion over regeneration. And pride is not only powerful, but it's blind. You know, we last left off our studies in Jesus in the Gospel of John with the serpent in the wilderness being high and lifted up. And all the Israelites, all they had to do was look upon that to be saved if they had been bitten by a snake. But as Paul Harvey would say, now the rest of the story. It's in 2 Kings 18, if you would, just go ahead and flip on over there to 2 Kings 18, that we find the first time... In history, in the, the, we find in this time of history of the Israelites, several uh, centuries after the death of Moses, long after the affliction of the snakes had passed, Hezekiah, a righteous king, led his people away from religion towards a genuine belief in God. Hezekiah done this. Here is the rest of the story. Starting there in verse 1, Now it came to pass the third year, the son of Hose, the son of Elah, the king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began his reign. He was 25 years old when he, began, when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother was named Abai, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and he broke the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden images and broke into pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan, which means piece of brass. He trusted in the Lord of Israel so that after him was none like him among the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. So I would say that he had to been one of the best kings that Israel had ever seen. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but he kept the commandments which the Lord commanded Moses. 
For 700 years, get this and don't miss it, for 700 years, the Israelites had been dragging around that hunk of bronze in the desert with them. For 700 years after it was made, they drug that hunk of bronze around through the conquest into the promised land. They, they preserved it through invasions, through famine, through civil war, through the rise and fall of kings. The Israelites turned the bronze symbol of their ancestors' faith into a superstitious good luck charm. They even burnt incense to us, what the scriptures tells us. As all people are prone to do, they set aside confident trust in their God for something tangible. Sound familiar? Does sometimes we set things aside that are tangible rather than trust in God? They wanted something they could manipulate. They wanted something they could control. The lack was the same lack of the belief occurs in John's time. If you would, just go ahead and flip over to John chapter 3. We'll be moving right into it here in just a second, at verse, starting at verse 16. The same lack of belief occurs in John's time, just as it did in ages past. It still occurs today. Churches are filled with men and women who cling tightly to their precious trinkets or trusting their own moral merits. And me and Les was talking back there, and there's one of those trinkets right there. We hang these things all over the place, and we put more faith in this symbol than we do in the God who sent his son Jesus to die on that cross for us. These are trinkets that we hang up in our houses, and we, we put more faith in those things than we do Jesus himself. We believe in the tangible more than the intangible things that we can actually hang on to. And that's a problem. It's this problem that the Israelites had. They had it for 700 years because they lugged that old hunk of metal around with them all through the desert. And what are we lugging around in our lives today that are tangible things and not things that we should be hanging on to, which is our faith, our trust, our belief in Jesus Christ? That's, that same, like I said, that same lack of faith occurs in John's time. It occurs today, and we hang on to those trinkets. According to Jesus they have judged themselves and have therefore decided their own eternal destiny. We have been given Jesus' own words. So shall the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We continue in our text tonight in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe in him is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light. Least the deeds should be exposed. Some people won't come to church no more because they're afraid their deeds are going to be exposed. They don't want to come to the light because they don't want their sins exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they 
have been done in God. That's John 3, 15, or John 3, 16 through 21. Now, if you had the opportunity to sit face-to-face with Jesus, just like Nicodemus did, what would your question to him be? And I want you to think about this question for just a little bit. What would that question be? If you had that opportunity, if you could ask Jesus anything, you could sit face-to-face with, with the King of kings and the Lord of lords today, not, not when you die and go to heaven, but today, what would that question be? What would you want to ask Jesus face-to-face? Well, here's some of the things that, that, that have been asked, and, and I've asked a lot of people this past week um, what, what, their, what their question would be, and some people said, why fast? Uh, why heal on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to divorce? Uh, how do I inherit the kingdom of heaven? For me, it would, I would have to ask if Adam had a belly button. Now, if, and, and if you don't get that right there, you just ask Wanda, and she will fill you in. Because she filled me in this week, and I know why God gave me that, because I needed this question in here. But more seriously, some of the questions are, why do you love such a person like me? How could you love mankind? Here's another one. Why would you die for sinners like us? Someone wanted to ask, can I have a hug? Can you imagine how long the hug line would be in heaven? Can you imagine that? When I heard that question, I'm like, boy, that's going to be a long line. I wonder if you've got to buy a ticket for it. Some others pose their favorite scriptures, their favorite scriptural questions. So, like, what happened between 12 years old and when you started your ministry? Doesn't everybody want to know what, what Jesus was doing in that time? Uh, why did you... Uh, dis- didn't, why didn't you just destroy Lucifer before he messed up Adam and Eve? Doesn't everybody want to know the answer to that? Why did you allow Satan to do the things he did to Job? What is the real age of accountability? What about the real story of predestination? Will babies ever grow up in heaven? How did you create something out of nothing? How did you part the Red Sea? How did you get water from a rock? How did you put a baby in Mary's womb? How did you raise the dead? Think about all the questions that you could ask Jesus if you were face-to-face with him. Some questions are personal and, doubt, and, and doubtless with, with a history behind them, like this question here. Why was my brother killed in a tra- tragic car accident at the age of 16? My parents were never the same, even though their faith never wavered. There's a lot of people that want to ask that question. What about why do some suffer more heartaches than others? And here's another one. Lord, would you please sit down with me on this log by a stream and put your arm around my shoulder like my earthly daddy did and talk to me, please? Some of these, some of these questions just break my heart. You know, what would you have me do? One said, they would ask Jesus, can I kiss the feet that walked up that terrible path to the cross? Hmm. What, a, what a question to ask Jesus. Will you save me a spot in glory land next to my dear dad? Do you know who the, the wonderful Joni uh, Erickson Tada, I think that's how you say her last name, T-A-D-A. Or Tada, you can say it however you want. Do you know who she is? Joni lived a, a, a very active life all through her growing up years, enjoying riding horses, hiking, tennis, and swimming. 
And on July 30, 1967, she was 17 years old when she dove into Chesapeake Bay after misjudging the shallowness of the water. She had a, a fracture between her fourth and fifth vertebrae, the cervical vertebrae, and, and became a quadriplegic paralyzed from her shoulders down. And during Joni's two years of rehabilitation, according to her autobiography, she experienced anger and depression and suicidal thoughts and, and religious doubts. However, during her occupational therapy, she learned to paint with a paintbrush between her teeth and began to sell in her artwork. They made a movie about Joni, and I watched that movie. I think I was maybe a youth. I don't know. But they showed it at Prior First Baptist Church, and I remember watching that movie that they made about her being that, that uh, quadriplegic. And her, she has a question for Jesus, and it's this right here. She wants to ask Jesus if he will dance with her when she gets to heaven. Who can argue with that? Who can argue with that? So what's your question tonight? What question do you have for Jesus? Have you thought about it? Have you given it any thought? Anybody got, an, anybody got a reply? Because most of the time, this is what I get. I don't know that I would want to ask Jesus anything. Many will say, well, I've got a lot of questions for Peter and, and Paul and some of the disciples, but I don't know if I could sit face to face and ask Jesus a question or not. But Nicodemus did, and he asked a question. Just like the song we sang tonight, we believe. Do you believe in Jesus? Tonight, that's really the question that I want to pose. In our time of desperation, when all is doubt and fear... When all doubt and fear was in your life, think about your life. Looking back when you first believed in Jesus, look back into your own salvation experience, that moment that you believed in the name and the person of Jesus Christ. When you stepped out of the darkness into the light, when your eyes were opened and you seen who Jesus was and is, when his spirit called you out to make that first step towards believing in him, can you see that? Can you see your salvation experience tonight? Can you picture that in your mind? Can you remember that salvation experience and what it looked like? Well, I'm going to tell you what. Tonight, Jesus is sitting face to face with you. And he's looking at you, looking into your eyes. What is his answer to the questions you have for him? Just like Nicodemus asked, his final question to Jesus was, How can these things be? How can these things be? And Jesus looked at Nicodemus and answered him, believe in me. That's basically what Jesus said. He says, believe in me. Would you like to have an answer to your question tonight? Whatever question that might be that you have to Jesus, the answers we seek the questions, the, to the questions we have are all found in God's word. I believe that they're found right there in the pages of the Bible. God has given them to us through the Holy Scriptures. The Word of God is our standalone answer. You see, the answer to all the questions can be answered with one answer. And they all come from Jesus himself. You say, now David, how can the answer to every question be one answer? Let me give you from God's Word what Jesus says. If you can believe... All things are possible to him who believes. If you can believe, Jesus says, all things are possible to him who believes. 
Believe is the answer. I believe that believe is the answer. The answer to all of our questions that we have will be answered in that word right there, believe. But we have believe is the answer, but to have all the questions answered that you will ever have, you'll have to believe in Jesus. Every question that you'll ever have can only be answered by Jesus himself. And the only way you'll ever be able to ask that question is to believe in Jesus Christ, to believe in his name, believe that he died on the cross for your sins, believe that he was buried, and believe that he rose again, and believe that he is coming back one day to take us home. Believe in Jesus Christ, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. It doesn't say maybe won't perish. It says shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God's love for the world is, is not a blanket type of love. And you need to realize this tonight. God's love for you is not a blanket type of love. Let me explain what that means. Yeah, I can have a love for the people of Puerto Rico. Bryce can have a love for the people of India. People in the church can have a love for other church members or other of, or other churches, that people that go to church. And, and we know a few of these people on a personal level. I know some people in Puerto Rico, and I know one guy in India now. I'm getting ready to maybe meet a whole bunch more in January when we go. But, and we know when we have personal relationships, and we love those people, but a blanket type of love is that we love those people. We love the people of India, and we love, you know, God's given us a love in our hearts, and we love all people, and that's what we're supposed to do. But God's love is different. But God, God's love for us lies on a whole different level and is something that we have little understanding of. We barely understand how God really, really loves us. But we find it right here in, in that verse in John three sixteen. His love for us, the whole world, is an individual love for each and every person who has been or is or will ever be. The depths of his love cannot be measured by men, it, but it can be proclaimed by individuals who have seen and known God's love for them. You think about that salvation. Go back to that salvation experience that you had. You think about when Jesus first came into your life, the love that you felt, the, the, even the understanding, not knowing what you was getting into, but you understood for the first time that somebody actually loved you enough that they died for your sins. Think about that love. The depths of his love cannot be measured by men on a thousandfold time. He loves you that much. Paul prays this prayer over the church of Ephesus. And I believe he prays it over us as well. He says, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. From whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glories, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you might, being rooted and grounded in love, and may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, what is the length, and the depth, and the height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. 
How do we know it's a how do we know what kind of love it is? We don't. We don't understand it. It passes all knowledge here, Paul says. But he wants us, he's praying for us, and he's, he's praying that we would understand the width, the length, and the depth, and the height to know the love of Christ, which passes all knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. That you may be filled with the fullness is. It's, it's God's great and mighty love for each and every one of us that he has sent his son. He loves us so much, he sent his son to die on the cross for us. Do you know that kind of love tonight? Do you know for sure that kind of love? You know, we could go on all night, and we could, we could, uh, we could talk about this word believe. It's, it's all through the book of John. And it's the, because I had a video to play, and I didn't get to play it. So we're going to get down a little bit early, but we're going to go into our prayer time. But my question for you tonight is, do you know this kind of love, and do you believe in Jesus Christ? As you ponder that question, I want to read the words to the song that I believe says it best. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son to make this wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss the Father turns his face away. As wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sins upon his shoulder. Can you see your sins upon Christ's shoulder tonight? Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. Amen. Do you know and believe in Jesus Christ? Jesus says, believe in me. Lasting life. But believing in you comes with a lot more than just belief. It comes with a commitment. It comes with knowing who Christ is and, and following Christ and, and, and wanting to know more about Christ, learning through the scriptures about who you are. And we thank you for that opportunity that we have to dig into your word. We thank you that you've given us uh, such a book that gives us so much knowledge of who you are, but yet cannot describe how much you truly, truly love each and every one of us, even those who seem to be beyond help have found salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that. Father, and I just pray tonight, if there's one here who does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, 
that they will give their life to him, believe in the name of Jesus Christ, and start a new relationship, a new life in him tonight. So they can understand and know the words of this song. To understand what it is that Jesus has done for us. He has paid that ransom. He has gained our salvation. Nothing I could have done but my sins were put upon his shoulders upon that cross. Thank you for that, Lord Jesus.